Hey, it's Keith from the Book of Constellations, and I want to hear from you. There are lots of ways you can get in touch. You can send an email to bookofconstellations at gmail.com. You can follow me on Twitter at WKeithTims. And I'd love for you to leave stars or a review on sites like Apple Podcasts, Good Pods, or Podchaser. It helps me know how I'm doing and helps other people find the show. And if you'd like to help a little more, consider making a small gift of support at glow.fm slash bookofconstellations. It's just a couple of clicks, but allows me to keep making content. Thank you, and enjoy this week's verse. Listeners are advised there is a moment of graphic violence in today's episode. The Book of Constellations Written, produced, and performed by W. Keith Timms Chapter 1, Verse 13 Three of us, Satya, Mara, Ostrom, and I, are now standing out in the rain that's turned the gray ground to mud. Next to the unfinished office building is a Theta Group truck and a big generator on wheels chugging away. The late afternoon sky is covered in clouds, the rain just pouring out of it, soaking us almost instantly. Between that, the generator, and the occasional peal of thunder, you can barely hear yourself think. There is no sign of the soldiers, but Rael is waiting for us, standing right out in the open on the gravel drive, looking like a drowned rat, hair plastered to his face, poncho soaked, sunglasses so spattered with drops I had no idea how he could even see out of them. But there he was, just waiting. Mara had taken her cuffs off, so Satya is free to run to him, to throw her arms around him, squeeze him tightly. He gently embraces her in return. Over the noise, he says, The soldiers will not be fooled for long. We should go. But Mara is frozen in place, staring at him, a little overawed. The rain has soaked her uniform, but it was so snug to begin with, and her hair was in so tight a bun that it hardly seems to have disturbed her. Likewise, Rael is calm as ever. The rain doesn't even seem to exist for him. Hello, Mara, he says. Where did you send the soldiers? To the other side of the building and down along the drainage pond. They follow orders well. Who gave the orders? You did, at first. Now they hear each other's voices, claiming to have seen me. An astonished and fearful smile breaks over her face. Mimicry now. You are learning so much. This is where I interject. Can you two get reacquainted later? We need to get out of here. Rael says, The RV is where we left it, Simon. Then let's get going. Yes, he says, starting to head for the gate. The storm is getting closer, and we will have to time things carefully. I urge the two women to hurry after him so I can bring up the rear. Uh, time what, carefully? I ask. But either my question is lost in the rain, or Rael is too focused on leading us out that he doesn't answer. 
The unfinished office building that the theater group was using for an impromptu base lies on a winding country road near the top of a hill. Across the street is a little church, probably built in the 60s, maintained as best could be with donations from a dwindling congregation. It's locked up, the stained glass windows unlit. On the far side of the church is a cemetery, the gravestones leading down a hill to a bridge over a little river. We left the RV parked on the far side of that bridge, so that's our way out. I guess that's my life now, running for the RV and hiding from men with guns. We're around the side of the church, out of view. The rain is pouring in sheets off the roof. Thunder crashes nearby. The angry part of the storm is getting closer. The sky is bruised with blue and green among the gray. I can see the cemetery and the long hill leading down to the bridge. The RV is across that bridge. We'll have to hurry. Once we're in the cemetery, we'll be exposed. There's nowhere to hide. Rail says, We cannot go yet. The soldiers have discovered I am not where I told them I was. They are starting a search pattern in this direction. We will not make it to the bridge before they find us. Mara, they are looking for you, wondering why you are not on your comm. Mara looks over her shoulder in the direction of the base. Yes, there are only a few people with authority to turn off the Faraday field. But they might not have thought of that yet. Satya says, So what do we do now? We have a few minutes before we must cross the bridge. We should hide. There's a side door into the church, and Satya rushes over to it and jiggles on the handle. It's locked. From under his poncho, Rail produces Satya's lockpick kit, and she just beams at him. As she crouches in front of the door, working on the lock, I keep an eye on Mara. She's watching worriedly for the soldiers, as if they might come around the corner of that church at any moment. But I also catch her sneaking a peek at Rael and she must tear her gaze away when a crack of thunder jolts her back to vigilance. Satya gives a triumphant, Got it! With the door open, we all rush inside. We're dripping all over the carpet, soaked to the skin. Satya closes and relocks the door. There's a hush in the building, though the rain is still hammering on the roof, muted but insistent. We find our way upstairs to the sanctuary. It's not that large, has room for maybe uh, 200 people, but I get the feeling that they probably only get half that on a good day. But it's got the rows of pews, the high ceiling, little choir loft behind the pulpit, piano off to one side. The place smells of old paint and wax. The tall windows are colored with pretty patterns of reds, yellows, and blues, though the storm outside denies them the light they need to really show off. It keeps throwing gusts of wind against them, rattling them in their settings. Rail walks along the pews and sits, cross-legged, on the front row. We all sort of trail after. I take a seat a few rows back where I can keep an eye on things. Satya wanders over to the piano and the pulpit, nosing around curiously. Amara doesn't seem to know what she wants to do. She keeps trying to adjust her uniform to somehow get herself together in her soaked clothes. But finally, she hesitantly sits beside Rael, watching him with trepidation. Rael doesn't acknowledge her, or anyone for that matter. He is focused on something off in the distance that none of us can see. The silence between them stretches. Mara is trying to find something to say as she stares at him. Eventually, the self-consciousness hits her and she looks away, 
shooting a glance up at the big cross hanging on the wall, and I catch her sort of bowing her head toward it reverently, like on reflex. Are you a churchgoer, Mara? I ask, mostly just to try to dissolve some of the tension. She says, I was in my youth. My father took us every week. Even if we were on vacation, we would find a local church on Sunday mornings. Satya glances over from the pulpit. Wow, no break from God, huh? He believed the routine built discipline and character. I say to Satya, what about you, young lady? Do you go to church? She says, my family is Hindu. My mom was religious, especially when it suited her or when she needed justification for why I was a terrible person. There wasn't a temple in our town, but we had a shrine in the house. Rail says, Christians could have chosen any number of symbols to represent their beliefs. Ones to remind them how the Christ healed the sick, tended to the poor, and taught compassion. But they chose a Roman method of torture and execution. Mara says, The cross is to remind us of the resurrection. Yes, strange. If the Christians of this world focused on caring for others instead of some exclusive afterlife, perhaps the darkness would not have the hold here that it does, and I would not have to fight so hard. But then compassion and sacrifice are difficult. Waiting for heaven is much easier. We all kind of look at each other in silence after that. I don't know. Rael seems tense, impatient, distracted maybe. I say, uh, what about you, Rael? Did, uh, did your people have spiritual beliefs? Rael hardly moves as he replies. Yes, many. Often at odds with each other. At the end, though, I believe there were two prevailing approaches. Those that saw the darkness and despaired, turning away from the world to pray that the divine would somehow save them. And those who instead focused on the world in front of them to try to stop what was happening. Mara says, And in the end, neither approach worked, did it? Rail purses his lips faintly. No, but I believe it is better to be in this world than the next, save whatever afterlife there is, for after. Gods and angels can look after themselves. It's people who need our attention. Mara scoffs a little. <laughs> Most people aren't worth the effort. You haven't seen people. Rael, not like I have. They are selfish and small-minded. Most of them cannot see beyond their own little lives, cannot fathom anything larger than whatever inanities they will use to distract themselves on the weekend. They are ungrateful. They are not worthy. Rael turns his head to look at her. That's your father talking. Mara, I have seen people in the short time that I have been free from you, I have seen more people than you will ever meet in your lifetime. Even at this moment, I am discovering the lives of thousands, and it is getting easier and quicker. And yes, many are petty and selfish. More, perhaps, than I had thought. But they are the ones who need the help the most. Who else should we use our gifts and talents for? If not for everyone, who else is there? Mara's gaze flicks over to me. There's something unspoken there, some fear, a warning, a reminder. But she continues, your talents are wasted on them. Seeds spread on stone 
that will not sprout. I have always thought that you could transform our world with the right guidance, the right people, and the right scalpels, the properly placed electrical probes, the carefully researched field distortions, and the right values sacrificed. Mara, a little cowed, says, I'm sorry, but you, you, you wouldn't cooperate, and I... I didn't know what you were. Not really. But, but things are different now. We could go somewhere where they wouldn't find us. We could work together. You could teach me what you know. Show me the technology of your people. Think how we could reshape the world together. Isn't that what you want? Rail rises and walks to the raised platform at the front of the church, staring up at the giant cross and the colored windows while the wind and rain roar outside. No, Mara, that is what you want. I am not a king. I do not seek dominion over your world. Then what do you want? Still staring out the windows, he says, to help, to drive away the darkness so that this world has a chance. Mara rises then, approaching the dais. Her hands clasped together tightly. And if, if this darkness you believe exists, if you think it is too far gone, if it is too late for us, what will you do? Rail turns to her, confused. I don't understand. You say you are learning more and more about us by the minute. Eventually you will see everything. No system will keep you out. No secret can be kept from you. Our darkest impulses, our primal sins, the angry animals we are under the paper-thin veneer of culture and society. What if we are beyond hope? Rail shakes his head, water droplets fallen from his long, wet hair. I have not come to judge the earth. Mara laughs, a hollow sound of awe and fear. <laughs> but you will. Rail is about to answer when he frowns. Soldiers are outside. The wolves are in the air. The pulses are making it hard for me to find them. Mara says, They will search the church. Then we have to get out of here. Rail shakes his head as if he's trying to focus. No, they will see us. Satya asks, What do we do? It's Mara who turns and strides toward the front doors of the church. Hide. I will take care of this. I don't have time to stop her. She could betray us right then, but why would she free us, only to turn us back in later? Plus, I don't see many other choices. Satya tucks herself into the pulpit, Rail ducks down in the choir loft, and I just lay down on a pew. Mara's about halfway down the aisle when I hear someone rattling the front door, then a hefty crack as they force it open. The roar of the rain comes in along with a couple of soldiers. Dr. Ostrom, what's going on? What are you doing here? Same as you, she says, looking for the subjects. The soldier talks over his calm. I have eyes on Dr. Ostrom. She's in the church. Mara continues. I've searched the sanctuary, but I haven't found them. I was about to go downstairs to the fellowship hall. Doctor, why aren't you on your calm? Hmm? Oh, I must have left it back at the site. The subject was interfering with them. I was getting intolerable feedback. You need to check in at base right away. Your father is trying to reach you. There's a long, tense silence. Mara finally says, Well, 
Tell him I'll be right there, and... Ma'am, you should contact him yourself. Another little pause. Yes. Yes, of course. I will finish checking the church. Then report back. There is a convenience store up the road they could have reached by now. They could be hiding there or getting a ride. Take a detail. I will catch up. The soldiers leave, and the door closes. Thunder crashes and rattles the timbers of the church. Mara says, They're gone. We emerge from our hiding places, and Mara is walking back up the aisle, subdued, distracted. Absently, her gloved fingers run across her hair, checking it for any locks astray, even though it's still tightly held in place. I say, We need to get moving. Give the soldiers just enough time to get out of sight, and then we make for the RV. Rael, joining us, says, Yes, time is running out. We must be across the bridge soon. Can you sense where they are? Uh, let us know when it's clear. I can try. The wolves are in the air and are making it challenging. You don't seem like you're in as much pain as you were back in the woods, though. He nods once. I am learning to deal with them. Mara murmurs. I knew... You would eventually defeat anything I designed to keep you if you were given the chance. I suppose once you escaped, it was only a matter of time. Satya places a hand on Rail's arm, pursing her lips at the doctor. Unbelievable. You can't just imprison and torture people, you know? Don't be naive. Of course we can. We can do anything we like when the stakes are this high. She steps closer to him. There's growing desperation on her face. Rael, you, you must understand what your existence means to us. What what has to be done to protect ourselves from what you represent? The, the extremes we have to go to are only because you are so extreme yourself. My father is not a bad man. He is a man of perspective. He does what he has to because he sees what has to be done. I wish you could know him when he doesn't have the weight of the world on his shoulders. He is quite sweet and funny and brilliant. He needs someone, and he will he will be so disappointed in me. But things will be different for you and me. I still have contacts and resources. How much good do you think you can do driving around the countryside in a camper compared to what we could do? I will do whatever you need me to. I helped my father. I can help you, too. Rael, staring at her through those impenetrable sunglasses, says, No. Mara recoils as if she'd been slapped. What? But why? I set you free, didn't I? Isn't that proof enough of my loyalty? Rael steps to her and takes her hands in his. She is instantly docile, drawing a tiny breath as she stares up at him. You do not need your father to save you, and you do not need me to save you. You are free, Mara. She shakes her head at him with slow desperation. No, she says. No, I'm not. A blast of thunder sounds nearby, and the whole church shakes. The decorative lamps hanging from the ceiling swaying a little on their chains. Rail turns his head slightly, as if sensing something outside. We should go now. It is not ideal, but we are running out of time. Satya says, well, which way? The side door. 
Rail heads for the stairs, Satya right behind him. But Mara is staring at Rail as he leaves, lost. I touch her arm. Come on, you're still with us. Her head snaps to the side to stare at me, as if I'd woken her from a dream, like she didn't know where she was for the moment. But we follow him, out into the deluge. We're hurrying downhill through the cemetery. The ground is saturated. Already there's muddy runoff cascading toward the bridge and the river it crosses. Water is running in sheets over the road. The river is swollen, murky with silt and debris. Rushing by at breakneck speed and overflowing the banks by a couple of feet. The roar is terrible. The pitted concrete bridge is a couple hundred feet across. There, on the other side, parked under some trees, is my RV. Almost there. We've reached the road, almost stepping onto the bridge when Mara shouts, They've seen us! Looking behind, sure enough, up at the church, I see a pair of soldiers double-timing it down the hill toward our position. Further up, some camouflage-painted trucks are coming for us, their tires spraying water from the asphalt. Run! I shout, although running is a dicey prospect for me, even on the best of days. I'm slowing us down, but Satya, bless her, won't leave me behind. Come on, old man! She dashes back to get me, helps me along. We reach the other side, just about the time the trucks pull onto the bridge. But as if that wasn't enough... I see two huge drones glide over the church. The wolves. Their fans spewing rainwater like needles. They're fitted with all sorts of strange electronic equipment. And that's when I feel it. That pulse of unsound that tingles in my skin and guts. The same that we felt in the forest. Rail gasps, stumbles, but he keeps running, weaving a little. I'm bringing up the rear as we near the camper. Get in, I call. Keys are in the cab. And that's when a Theta soldier jumps out from behind the RV. His assault rifle leveled at us. Of course, they would leave someone watching the vehicle I came in. On your knees, now, he shouts. We're all frozen in place. Behind us, the procession of Theta trucks pulls up, stopping on the bridge. Soldiers hopping out, taking cover. The drones looking like giant insects of dark metal and eldritch technology glide into place over them. The thrum of their motors audible over the roaring river and rain. Rail grits his teeth, swaying on his feet. Satya stares at the soldier and his gun, pinned by fear and indecision. And then Mara pulls her pistol and points it at us. Good work, she says to the soldier walking toward him. His aim twitches toward her, but I can see the confusion in his eyes. She takes a place next to him, staring at us a moment. Now that we have them... And then, without any hesitation at all, she places the muzzle of the pistol against the soldier's neck and fires a shot up into his brain. Satya screams. Rail says, don't, but it's too late. Blood spatters over the side of the RV. The man's body falls to the rain-soaked ground. And that's when the soldiers behind us start firing. The first shot tears through the air near my head. Another punches a hole through the sidewall of the camper. I grab Sati and hustle her for cover behind the RV, with Mara and Rail doing likewise. Mara is holding her pistol, breathing deeply. More shots follow, thunking into the RV. Rail has an anguished expression on his face, and I don't think it's just from the drones. 
He focuses on Mara. Why? Why would you do that? We we had to, Rael. I have to get you out of here. I have to keep you safe. Rael stares straight at her. His name was Rudy Dixon. He grew up in Tallahassee, where he helped his mother look after his younger brothers. He was engaged to be married to Renee Sylvester. He was restoring a car in his spare time. Mara's face twists into anger. And he would have put a bullet in our heads with a single word from his superiors. Are you ignoring his dishonorable discharge and criminal record? He works for Theta Group, Rael. We do not hire good people. Not everyone in this world is worth saving. Rael says, I thought you were. He turns away, real pain and grief on his face. He's not even looking at her anymore, like she isn't even there. Mara's gloved hand holding the pistol is shaken now. I, I did what I had to. I, I, was, I was trying to protect you, like you will protect me. Please, please, Rael, look at me. Please, look at me. But he doesn't. Overwhelmed, he leans against the RV, rainwater pouring down his face. I don't know what to do with you. The gunfire from the bridge abruptly stops, and for a moment there is only the sound of the downpour in the river. Then we hear Mara's cell phone chime. Astonished, she takes it from her belt, staring at the screen. Rail says, Mara, don't. But she taps it and brings the phone to her ear. Papa, she says into it. She listens for several seconds. Yeah, Papa. She's trembling all over, water dripping off of her chin. Then, in a whisper that is almost lost in the storm, she says, I love you too. She slides the phone back into her belt. All right, it's over. You, you have to come with me, Rael. Rael doesn't move. She lifts the pistol, points it at him. Satya takes a step closer, and I have to grab her to keep her from doing something that might get her shot. Mara says through clenched teeth, You have to come with me. It's for the best. Rael still doesn't move as if using all his concentration. No, Mara. Come with me, or I hurt them. She gestures with the muzzle of her gun towards us. I have always done what I had to. You know I will. Come with me. Now. Satya says, you won't get your hands on him again. Before I can stop her, she launches herself at Mara, grabbing for her wrist. The two of them struggle. I move in to try to help, to overpower Mara, knock her on the ground, something. But suddenly she pulls back, one hand around Satya's throat, the other pointing the pistol at her head. Rail takes a step closer, still a little off balance from the pulse of the drones. Let her go. Mara snarls like a panicked animal, her cyan eyes shining brilliantly through the rain. You want her? 
Come get her then. She drags Satya out into the road. Satya looks terrified. Mara's grip on her throat is making her gasp for air. The soldiers stationed on the bridge have their weapons trained in our direction, but are holding their fire. The pair of drones are getting pushed around by the storm, but that does not seem to have deterred their hovering menace. Mara marches Satya toward the bridge, and Rael follows, walking slowly through the rain, a little off balance still. Mara, he says, you must come back. You come to me. No, Mara, please let Satya go and come off of the bridge. Tell your men to fall back. You can't win this one, Rael, not your way. You'll have to hurt a lot of people to escape. You misunderstand. You must get off of the bridge. All of you. She and Satya are almost to the parked trucks, standing on the bridge as the river below is starting to spray over the sides. Mara freezes a moment, then looks at the water rushing past, overflowing its banks and the roadway. Slowly, she turns back to Riel with wonder and terror. He then stands upright, letting his arms drift to his side. Ah, there, he says. The engines of both drones begin to whine faster and faster, and abruptly they fall from the sky, crashing into the river where they are smashed against the banks by the current. Mara, please. The Theta group forces react with confusion, taking cover, watching the destruction, and Satya uses the distraction to ram her elbow into Mara's stomach. The doctor stumbles backwards, letting her go, and Satya sprints for us. Something cracks deep in the earth. The bridge gives way, the river rolling over the giant slabs of concrete as they break apart. Satya leaps and makes it off of the bridge even as the asphalt crumbles beneath her. The trucks tumble into the water, soldiers screaming, vanishing into the spray. Rail races forward past Satya, his hand extended. But he's too late. I watch as Mara Ostrom falls through the disintegrating bridge, her cyan-gloved hand reaching out, her cry for help lost in the churn of the river before she is gone. Rail stares at where the bridge was before dropping to his knees. Huge swaths of the bank are falling into the flood now, Trees pitching over and being carried downstream. Satya throws herself against Rael. The two of them just hold each other by the broken edge of the road. I don't know how to feel. On the one hand, Mara was bad news. So are her people. The darkness has taken their compassion and restraint. It's hard not to be grateful that we're free of them, at least for now. But on the other hand, Rudy Dixon had a fiancé and liked to work on classic cars, whatever else he was. All those soldiers were people, even if we never saw their faces or knew their names. Mara Ostrom was so lost in whatever horror she grew up in, I, I wonder if Rail misjudged her, if she could ever truly be redeemed. But she was a person, 
And people are complicated. I used to think it was pretty straightforward. You'd defend what was yours, and if someone died, well, they had it coming. But I don't know anymore. I think it takes a special kind of arrogance to think you know enough about anyone to decide if they should live or die. I know I'm not smart enough for that. But Rael is just about the smartest person I know, and if he can't figure it out, then what chance do we have? I just wonder what'll happen if Rael ever gets put in a position where he doesn't have a choice. Eventually, Rael and Satya got in, and we left all that behind. We didn't talk to each other for a long while, but we knew it was time we had words with the governor. The Book of Constellations is written, produced, and performed by W. Keith Timms. Music in this episode featured Rainwater by Roscall. The theme is Cycles by Pictures of the Floating World. For more information, visit bookofconstellations.com. There's someone in your life who might like this show. Tell them about it. Until next time. There's something new I want you to hear. It's called The First Episode Of, and it's a podcast about audio drama and the creative process. In each show, I listen to the first episode of an indie audio drama and then have a discussion with the creators about their methods, their struggles, and successes. It's great conversation for anyone interested in storytelling and creativity. You can find it anywhere you get your podcasts or at thefirstepisodeof.com. Give it a listen.